podcast is a production of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. It is made possible by grant funding from the Academy of Teaching Scholars at the University of Oklahoma. The views expressed in this podcast are based on the participants' research, but at times may represent their expert opinion only. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Laura Holman. She is a GYN oncologist and assistant professor in the Department of OBGYN here at the University of Oklahoma, and we are excited to have her. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, Dr. Holman, today I'd like to dive into the world of hereditary cancer syndromes, specifically those that are of most significance to us as gynecologists. I know you have a great interest and a lot of expertise in these hereditary cancers that affect women, so I'm excited to hear from you today. Thanks. Hereditary cancer syndromes are responsible for a significant number of cancer cases in women. It is estimated that up to 5% of endometrial cancers and 10% of ovarian cancers are due to a genetic predisposition. Given the current incidence of these diseases in the United States, approximately 2,100 new ovarian cancer cases and 2,700 new endometrial cancer cases can be attributed to hereditary cancer syndrome this year alone. A cancer diagnosis is devastating, but even more so when you realize that these cases may have been preventable. Appropriate screening for hereditary cancer syndromes affords gynecologists the opportunity to not only prevent cancers in their patients, but also family members of their patients for generations. Awesome. Let's take first a broad view of things. Can you tell us which are the most important hereditary cancer syndromes our OBGYN residents and other listeners should be knowledgeable about? The most common hereditary cancer syndromes that gynecologists are likely to encounter are hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome and Lynch syndrome, which is also known as hereditary non-polyposis colorectal carcinoma syndrome. There are also other hereditary syndromes that can cause GYN malignancies, such as Cowden syndrome, Lee from any syndrome, and Putz-Jager syndrome, but these are much rarer. Okay, let's tackle this uh, BRCA, or hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, first. Can you uh, talk about the differences between BRCA1, BRCA2 mutation, what these mean for patients and their family members? Sure. Patients with hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, as you alluded, typically have mutation in the BRCA1 or BRCA2 genes. These genes code for proteins that are involved with the repair of double-stranded DNA breaks. Mutations in either of the BRCA genes is inherited in an autosomal dominant fashion. This means that children of BRCA mutation carriers have a 50% chance of also inheriting the mutation. The hallmark cancers of hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome are female breast and ovarian cancer. It is also important to remember that primary peritoneal and fallopian tube cancers are often used interchangeably with ovarian cancer and should be considered part of the hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome. Other malignancies like melanoma, prostate, pancreatic, and male breast cancers have also been associated with BRCA mutations. The risk and age of cancer presentation varies by BRCA mutation. For example, women with a BRCA1 mutation have a risk of ovarian cancer by age 70 of 39 to 46% and a lifetime risk of breast cancer by age 70 of 65 to 85%. Reported risks of ovarian breast cancers in women by age 70 among BRCA2 mutation carriers are 10 to 27% and 45 to 85% respectively. Putting this into perspective, a woman in the general population only faces a 12% risk of developing breast cancer and a 1.4% risk of developing ovarian cancer. Wow. It's a lot to digest, but really important stuff, um, especially when you consider that huge difference in the increase in risk. Um, okay, let's do the same thing for Lynch syndrome or HNPCC. Which of risk of cancer are 
or what risk of cancer are these patients at? So patients with Lorentz syndrome carry mutation in one of the four mismatched repair genes, MLH1, MSH2, MSH6, or PMS2. These genes code for proteins that are involved in repairing mismatches and DNA-based repairs. Like hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, Lynch syndrome is also inherited in an autosomal dominant fashion. The hallmark cancers of Lynch are colorectal and endometrial cancer. However, a variety of other cancers have been associated with Lynch, including malignancies of the ovary, small bowel, gastric, ureteral, and biliary tract. Historically, colorectal cancer was believed to be the greatest threat to Lynch syndrome patients. However, studies have shown that women with Lynch syndrome have a lifetime risk of 40 to 60% for both colorectal and endometrial cancer. Interestingly, endometrial cancer may be the presenting malignancy, giving gynecologists an important role in diagnosing Lynch syndrome. Great. Okay, now that we know about the hereditary cancer risk, let's talk about who to screen for these mutations. What's the best way to solicit a family history from a patient and decide who should be tested for these syndromes? So personal family history should be obtained on all patients at their initial visit and updated regularly. For hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, there are very specific guidelines on who should be screened. ACOG lays out recommendations for who should be screened in their practice bulletin, number 103 if you're interested, which includes such criteria as patients with relatives with a known BRC mutation, as well as multiple criteria for patients with a history of breast and ovarian cancer. For Lynch syndrome, it's a little less straightforward, but in general, ACOG recommends that any woman with a first-degree relative with endometrial or colorectal cancer diagnosed prior to age of 60 or a patient meeting 2004 Bethesda guidelines should be screened. The Bethesda guidelines were developed for patients with colorectal cancer, but they've been modified to take into account endometrial cancer as well um, in ACOG Practice Bulletin 147. As you can see, these recommendations for who to screen are complex and they can be difficult to remember. Furthermore, other organizations may have differing guidelines from ACOG. For example, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, or NCCN, recommends that all women with epithelial ovarian cancer be screened for BRC mutations, and these are the guidelines that many GYN oncologists follow. The bottom line is that referral to genetic counselors should be considered if any red flags are raised in the patient's personal or family history. It's also important to remember that genetic counseling and testing carries a stigma in certain cultures, so maintaining cultural sensitivity while discussing this testing is important. Awesome. I'd also like to put in a plug right here for the ACOG uh, app that you can download on your phone, um, on your smartphone. It does contain all the practice bulletins, so those can be right at your fingertips. Uh, now let's talk about testing a patient. When you uh, see someone who meets any of those guidelines um, and you decide to test them, will it be covered? Um, what happens if it's not covered? Um, what about uh, future health insurance or life insurance for these patients? Those are often things that people are concerned about when it comes to genetics. Absolutely. Insurance coverage does vary by insurance provider, but most, at this time at least, cover a portion of the test. If the patient does not have insurance coverage, genetic testing, as you alluded to, can be quite expensive. Some companies, like Myriad, offer genetic testing at low or no cost to uninsured patients who meet certain financial and medical criteria, so it's worth looking into. Excuse me, regarding genetic discrimination, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008, or GINA for short, is a federal law that prohibits discrimination on the basis of genetic testing. This applies to both health insurance and employment. If you'd like more information about this law, you can go to ginahelp.org. Awesome. Okay, uh, once someone gets tested, how do they get results, and what should they tell their family? 
During testing results, come to the provider who orders the test. That person is then responsible for disclosing the results to the patient. I would encourage referral to genetic counseling prior to testing as they can usually provide quite a bit of information to the patient about hereditary cancer syndromes and the implications of a positive or negative result. They can also help confirm if genetic testing is warranted. Furthermore, they will receive the test results and can immediately provide the appropriate counseling to the patient when they disclose those results. Once a patient is found to have a genetic mutation, they should be encouraged to discuss these results with family members so that they may also receive appropriate genetic counseling and testing. You may also offer to help the patient with this conversation as it can be overwhelming, as you can imagine. However, patients are not obligated to disclose this information to their relatives, and genetic testing is protected by HIPAA. Okay, thanks. Um, okay, Dr. Holman, once a patient tests positive for one of these mutations, what screening or prevention protocols are available for them? There are also very specific guidelines for this. For ovarian cancer, it's important to remember that there is no good screening test. The current guidelines note uh, that annual ultrasound and C125 can be considered starting at age 30, but they also state that these tests are not adequate for screening. Hormonal contraceptives may also decrease the risk of ovarian cancer. However, all BRCA mutation carriers should be offered risk-reducing salpingo oophorectomy between the ages of 35 to 40 and when childbearing is complete. This reduces their ovarian cancer risk by 85% and their breast cancer risk by 50%. You should also note that this procedure involves performing washings and removing the ovary and fallopian tube in their entirety. It is important to leave as little fallopian tube as behind as possible. Furthermore, it should be emphasized that you must tell a pathologist that the patient is a BRCA mutation carrier as they should process the specimen more thoroughly to evaluate for microscopic cancers. There is some early data that the fallopian tube may be the site of origin of many ovarian malignancies, and there are studies being performed currently to determine patients who can undergo prophylactic salpingectomy with ovarian retention. The potential benefit of this would be to delay menopause while still decreasing cancer risk. However, at this time, this should not be performed for a BRC mutation carrier outside of a clinical trial. There are no guidelines regarding screening for endometrial cancer among patients with Lynch syndrome, but expert opinion states that these patients should receive annual endometrial biopsies and transvaginal ultrasound starting at the ages of between 35 to, sorry, 30 to 35. Progestin-based contraceptives can be considered for chemo prevention of endometrial cancer in these patients as well. Risk-reducing hysterectomy and bilateral sapingo oophorectomy should be offered starting at the age of 35 to 40 and when childbearing is complete. Once again, the pathologist should be notified that the patient has Lynch syndrome as up to 5% of patients undergoing risk-reducing surgery have an occult endometrial malignancy. Regarding breast cancer, women should undergo clinical breast exam every 6 to 12 months and annual breast MRI starting at the age of 25. At the age of 30, they should also undergo annual mammography. The option of risk-reducing mastectomy should also be discussed with all of these patients. And regarding colorectal cancer, patients should undergo colonoscopy every one to two years, starting at the age of 20 to 25, or two to five years prior to the earliest colon cancer diagnosis in the family, whichever comes first. Fantastic. Well, I think we've reviewed some really important information for our listeners today. Dr. Holman, is there anything else you think we should talk about before we end this podcast? I think it's important to remember that identifying patients with hereditary cancer syndromes provides a rare opportunity for cancer prevention, not only in our patients, but also their family members. Treat the family history as an integral part of the patient evaluation and have a high index of suspicion among women with unusual histories. That's great advice. Well, that's all the time we have for today on the podcast. 
If you have any questions or would like a transcript of today's podcast, please contact me at katie-smith at ouhsc.edu. That's k-a-t-i-e-s-m-i-t-h at ouhsc.edu. Thanks for joining us today. Please stay tuned for a further podcast from the University of Oklahoma, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Thanks.